football has never really been my identity. Football is something that I did for a career. It was part of who I was, but it was never who I was. Hi, I'm Aaron Levy, and I have this crazy vision of a workplace where your manager doesn't suck, where instead of being the reason you quit your job, is actually the reason you stay, where your manager is your coach, helping you to reach your full potential at work. I founded Raise the Bar, wrote Open, Honest, and Direct, and started this podcast to help companies transform their workplace by creating an environment where both the company and employee succeeds. In this podcast, I get to interview leaders who built high-performing teams and learn from them on what it takes to unlock their team's potential. Today, I'm lucky to have Desmond Clark, the former tight end for the Chicago Bears, a two-time author, motivational speaker, philanthropist, and the co-owner of The Insurance People. In today's episode, Des and I talk about the similarities between leadership on the field and in the boardroom, on the transition from Des Clark, the football player, to Des Clark, the business leader, and on what drives him to wake up each morning. Hey, Des, it's a pleasure to have you on. I'm glad we're doing this podcast and we've had some good conversations before about how you show up as a leader and how you have transitioned or maybe didn't have the same sort of transition as others did, moving from athlete to entrepreneur to business leader. Thanks for coming on. No, I appreciate you having me on, man. There's so many directions I want to go, but what I'd love to learn is just a little bit about your story and your journey. Your journey from, you know, before you were playing pro football and, and kind of like what what took you on this path to where you are today? That, that is the thing that I think surprised the most people about me and the journey that I had to take to get here because it wasn't one that was a smooth journey. Had a lot of obstacles as a young man. Dad was, he kind of destroyed the family, being a, a drug addict. And, and me and my mom and, and my two older brothers at the time, my younger brother wasn't born. He's 12 years younger than me. But the, the hardships that we had to go through at a young age helped set the direction and the mindset that me and my brothers have to this day for just getting out there and, and just wanting to do something better than what we've seen growing up. So it was early on in my life uh, as a young teenager where I just made the decision that, look, I see my dad smoking crack and he, he's been shot three times and blinded now. And I have other family members out there. I do have some family members that's doing well, but for the most part, the 85% the of the stuff that I see is nothing that I want to do or, or aspire to. So I just had to make a decision that I wanted to do better. And, and that's something that I decided on around the age of 14. So at 14, you made a decision, I want to do better given what sounds like not a bunch of resources or good role models to look to for this, how did you, how did you come to that decision? And how did you continue making that decision on a day-to-day basis? Because it's not like I say it one day and it just happens. Right. I, I wasn't able to see actually what I wanted. I was able to see what I didn't want. And you could use that you know, either way. A lot of people see stuff that they don't want and can't imagine anything better. I think I was in mindset of mind frame just to say, I just want better than what I'm seeing right now. I, I, I walked home one day after seeing my dad smoke crack and being propositioned to be a drug dealer. I walked home that day and I told my mom that I was going to be successful. And that was at the age of 14. And that's when I really made up my mind, like, this is not going to be my life. Like we're on section eight. 
things that we were going through, I didn't want to go through for the rest of my life. So that's when I made that decision. And, and I tell a lot of people the power of making a decision where you have just your resolute on what you're going to do or what you're not going to do, how things can change just when you change your mind and, and really focus in on what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And I know I was trying to accomplish success. I didn't know success is an arbitrary word. Success for some people means something different from other people. For me, success was, man, I actually want to own a house. I actually don't want to be on Section 8. I actually want to, to have a family that's not broken up. I don't want to be on drugs. That was success for me. Yeah, just, just making that decision and, and just never looking back and never, never settling for anything less than what I thought success could be. And putting that mindset and that perspective on, how did that then influence the you know, decisions you made from 14 to 18 to 20, right? And right. the actions that you took. So at the age of 14, you don't know a whole lot. <laughs> so um, I think the biggest thing for me is when I made that decision, I decided to start listening to people who I thought could be a positive influence on me. And that really started with the coaches who coached me, Coach um, Jackson and Coach Jordan in middle school, two, two great coaches that really took me up under their wing and helped me to become a young man who, first of all, they didn't let me quit football when I wanted to quit football. I talk about that in the book, how Coach Jordan rolled up on me the day that I quit and told me to get in the car and he wasn't going to let me be a quitter. Stories like that. Coach Jackson was my math teacher and I love math, but he would always dangle that carrot in front of me. As long as I was getting my math work done, he would let me leave class and go back out to, to PE and play basketball with the group of friends that I had for that period because I would get my math, my math work done in like five or 10 minutes. But I just started listening to people and I started just trying to seek guidance. And that's always been true since that age. Even now at the age of 43, although I'm giving guidance, I'm still seeking guidance at the same time. And I think that was the shift more than anything is that I started seeking guidance and I, and I really got lucky and I had some great, great people to come into my life and guide me the right way, teach me the right things, give me principles that I still live with to this day. And I think that that's what really helped shape um, what you see today. Yeah. And it's, it's, it reminds me of this quote. It says, the mind is like a parachute it has to be open for it to work. And, and that sounds like from 14, you started to just open your mind to, to listening and to hearing people and to taking in different ideas. And how did you determine who to listen to and what advice to listen to? Because, you know, just thinking about our audience, we constantly are getting advice and tips and tools and different things we should be doing and shouldn't be doing. And how did you formulate that? especially as you started to get into, you know, college football and then the pros and there's always people talking. How do you know who to listen to and what to listen to? Well, for me, it was who are the people that are in the position that I want to be in? Who are the people who've been there, done that and can take me there? Even to this day, I still do that. As an insurance agency owner, I've met with people in the insurance industry that owns companies and have different technology, um, even other entrepreneurs. So I can learn what they have done to get to where they're at 
because I, I truly believe this, you can't take anyone anywhere that you haven't been before. And so I'm looking for those people that's been there before, that's done it, because they know, they know just the roadmap of how to get there. So that's how I, in my adult age, how I sought out the people that I wanted to learn from. When I was younger, you know, luckily for me, those were just people that were in position where I was in life, and especially as a football player, basketball player, as an athlete, those people were just in that position. So I got lucky in that way. When did you determine that the path for you was going to be sports and not something else? You said, I finished my math work quickly. Um, you know, not going to be a, a different route. And how did that guide and shape your trajectory? I knew that sports was going to be a path for me and not necessarily making it to the NFL. But I knew sports was going to be a path for me once I got to high school because that's when I understood that I can go to college for being a good athlete. And I know I had promised my mom that I was going to be successful. And at that time, I seen that as the way that I could fulfill that promise. If I can be a good athlete, people go to college for free for being a good athlete. And then they threw this whole grades thing in there. Oh, y'all also got to make good grades. Okay, so I can do that. I mean, I was a lazy student. I was always smart. Um, I always tell people that I'm undercover smart because things just come real easy to me. And once I got into my senior year and I knew I had to have a certain grade point average, I mean, the first grading period, I had all A's and a B. I haven't had those type of grades since I was like in third grade. But that's when I seen that sports was going to be a path for me to achieve, to achieve the things that I had set out to do, which was just being successful. And now for me going to college, that was success at that point. I mean, I'm actually in college. My brother had went to college. One of my older brothers had went to college, but he was back home after a year. So now for me to go to college and graduate and have the opportunity to graduate, that was, that was one of those things that I looked at that would be a success. And when I got to college, Man, that first, <laughs> that first grading period, that first semester, like I said, I was lazy and um, I went on academic probation and I was like, oh, hell no, I cannot mess this situation up. And I went from that, that first semester of, and I was playing football at, at the same time to being a pretty decent student after that uh, because the thing that I knew I could not, could not do, I could not fail and have to go back home when I had this great opportunity and it was all through sports. So sports was, was the vehicle for you and you, you kind of took that and you had a, you know, incredible college career and then brought that into the, to the NFL and, you know, played obviously with the bears and, and took, took the bears to the Super Bowl or was part of that team. And so you've seen what it, what a high performing team looks like. Absolutely. And, and now that you're in the business world, right, and you've transitioned and you've been a part of the business world for, for quite a while, right, you're a two-time author, you, you co-own the insurance people, what are the common themes that you saw or have been bringing over from, right, what makes a great team in sports to what makes a great team in the business world? Right. I think it really starts um, with leadership. And, and I don't think I'm um, saying anything transcending there, but... You, you have to have good leadership at the top, which now filtered, filters down. Or if you want to look at it, that leadership actually pumps up or helps to guide other leaders 
to be leaders. And that's what we had in our locker room. We had a great leader with, with Coach Smith. But with Coach Smith, um, Levy, he gave us ownership of our jobs and how we went about doing our jobs. Um, we, we, had, we had our captains, and they were the leaders of the team. But anytime we had any issues, or not even issues, anytime we had anything, any ideas, we went to our leadership. Our leadership went to Levy, and they talked to Levy. And I say seven out of ten times, he gave us our way, and he let us do the things the way that we wanted to do, do them. But over time, I, I believe that's why you've seen a team that wasn't always the most talented team was always fighting hard week in and week out for our leader because he gave us ownership of, of, our, of our work. And he didn't tell us, hey, you got to come in on Monday, Tuesday, Friday, and you got to work out at these times. He said, throughout the week, I expect you to get your two to three workouts. I don't. I don't care when you get them, unless we lose, we all come, come in and work out on Mondays. Um, but I think the way that he um, led us really endeared us to him because it was our team. It wasn't the coaches team. It wasn't, it wasn't the management team. The coaches didn't even come in the locker room. Um, it, was, it was the players team. And I believe that's something that I've taken from that locker room and with me being a leader of my own company, trying to empower those people that I lead to be leaders within, within their own right, within their own job that they have to do within their own tasks, letting them take ownership of it and, and just giving guidance and letting them just, just run with it. So that's, I believe that's the, the biggest leadership lesson that, that I, I've taken from professional sports and Levy Smith provided that lesson. You know, it's, I wonder if it's only in sports, but in sports, you tend to see coaches filter in and filter out, right? They have like their, their period with a team and then it, it kind of wanes and, and then they, they transition out and leave and people say, well, they lost the team. I don't feel like I see that as much in the workplace. And can you tell me a little bit about that dynamic of how that changes? And it doesn't just have to be with Lovey, but it's, you know, it's like, what is the, what's different in the sports world where that dynamic changes and the leadership can not be as effective anymore for people? Well, I, I think you do see that in, in, um, in corporate America, more so at your, you know, your bigger companies, because CEOs and C-level executives, they only last for an average of three to five years. So they come in, you know, they change the culture and you have some good ones that stay longer. You build Belichick's of the world. Um, all of your Pittsburgh still a coach to stay there for like 20 years. Um, but I believe that comes from higher up leadership also. Uh, but I think what, what keeps people in place the longest is when they develop such a strong culture that the individual parts of that culture come in and they fit in that culture and there's no one individual part that can destroy that culture. And I believe that's what you've seen in, in New England for such a long time. I believe that's what you're saying in Pittsburgh. I mean, think about Antonio Brown and all the crap he calls in Pittsburgh, but those guys are still going strong. They, I mean, <laughs> those are examples of people that, that stay for a long time. And I believe the leadership style and the culture that they create within that company is really going to determine the longevity of, of 
how long they stay there. Uh, because just like in football, the athletes are going to come and go. Just like in any corporation, the, the people that's on the front line, they're going to come and go. Um, so what's going to make it, make it powerful and make it where people can come and go, but you can keep creating the same success? The leadership style and the culture that's built is the thing, are the two things that I believe that, that creates that longevity. And so you mentioned your team and right, wanting to make sure they have that autonomy. How do you, how do you create that culture then um, within your team and within the people, that, the people that you work with and even the clients that you touch? Well, when, when you think about culture, really that comes again from the top. And who, whoever is the person that's going to have that major influence over the organization that person has to have a strong sense of certain beliefs to start with within themselves, within themselves to drive a strong culture. You cannot develop a strong culture if you do not believe in the things that you're talking about. And we see a lot of times people, we have the boards that were say, hey, here's our core values, um, trustworthiness, and whatever those things are. But if those things are not truly embodied by the leader and the leader are not, they're, they're not living those things, then you can't build a culture around it. But if that leader believes in that and they live it and they, and they expect it and they hire for it and everything that they do is really wrapped into those four, five, six, ten different core beliefs, that's, what, that's when you build, build the true culture. I believe in my five F's, faith, family, fitness, finances, and fun. And Say that one more time. Yeah, I ran through that really quick, huh? Yeah, I want to hear those. Those sound good. Five F's, what are they? Faith, family, fitness, finances, and fun. And that's for me, I can fit my entire life into those five things. Um, you know, some people don't believe in, in, you know, certain religions or whatnot, but faith is not just only in a higher being. Faith is having faith in yourself, having faith in the people around you, having faith in what, what we're doing, what you're doing. All of those things are wrapped up in faith. Family, um, in, in my, um, my purpose statement that I have, the last thing in that purpose statement say, says that every opportunity transforming strangers and associates alike into extended family members. I truly believe when I meet you, my whole goal is to get to know you well enough and treat you well enough and develop a, a chemistry with you where I feel like you're extended family. That's, that's the whole goal. And I truly believe that just as a people in, in the entire world, I, I feel like we are, are one people, but we have all the different nationalities, white, black, this, that, Indian, um, everything separates us. But there's all of us are trying to really achieve the same, the same end game. Is why we're here on this earth is to be significant, live a good, decent life, and provide for our loved ones so they can do the same thing. Um, so I truly believe in those things. And we talk about fitness. You know, you can have all the money in the world. I mean, you can have a great family. You can have faith that you can do anything or have faith in God. But if you are not physically able to enjoy those things, what's the, what's the use? 
So keeping yourself in decent shape physically and mentally is is a huge thing for me. And I'm not saying you got to be ripped up, but just be able to be in good enough shape where you can enjoy life um, uh, at whatever measure that you say enjoyment is. Um, Finances, I mean, money, they say money ain't everything, but try not to have any. And you, you really, so finances are, are important, but I see finances as this finances, just, that's just a tool. So you can experience life in the way that you want to, because it takes money to do just about anything and to have a good financial foundation to build upon. I think that's very important in everybody's life to have have that under control because you don't always want to do the things that you have to do all the time sometimes you want to do some of the things that you want to do and the only time the only time that you can do that is if you have you know some type of uh good financial foundation so you can actually do some of the things that you want to do or else every day you're just doing what you have to do to get by and and that's not a fun life um and then fun you know, you do all these other things, you got to smile and laugh and joke and go, you know, whatever you consider fun, you got to do that sometimes just to get away, just to just enjoy the, the fruits of the labor. Um, and and all, all five of those things are equally important in my book. But when you put them all together, I feel like that's when you, you can live a good life. And that's just my personal belief. And um, so if I'm, if I'm creating my culture, you know, those things are going to be within the culture that I'm creating, because those are the things that I live, those, those are the things that I embody as a person, and those are things that I believe in. And, and I believe any leader, they really have to believe in the things that they are telling or the things that they are expecting out of other people. Because when you can demonstrate it in a very sincere and authentic way, people can feel that, people can attach to that. And then, you know, you just go out and get people that you think can identify with what what you have set in place. And now that's how you build a culture around anything. Yeah, and you're, what you've been doing is you're, you not only created, right, the insurance people, your, you know, your church, your financial advisory, but you go around the country and you speak to different organizations and corporations and you're, and you're writing books and in your philanthropy, I mean, there's so many things that you have your hands in and what is, what's the driving force? You know, what's the, the tie that brings all of that work and energy and passion mm-hmm. together? Um, I spoke about my purpose statement, but first let me say this. I did not create the insurance people. I would never sell my partner short like that. She, she created the insurance people 10 years ago. I've been her uh, partner, co-owner VP for a year now. So just want to make sure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, She brought me in. (laughs) So, but um, I spoke about my purpose statement and this came hmm, 2012 going into 2013 because now, you know, I'm retired from the NFL and I'm figuring out what do I want the rest of my life to be about? And I really wanted to put intentional thought into that. And not just, oh, my life is going to be about whatever and kind of have it kind of flimsy. I spent a couple of weeks really just searching myself and saying, Desmond, 
from this day forward, what's going to be your tool or what's going to be the thing that you navigate the rest of your life with? I wrote a bunch of stuff down and I, and I came up with this. With excellence being the standard, um, my purpose is to enhance the lives of, of others through any expertise or resource that I have available to me within reason and with respect to my family, whom are primary. At every opportunity, transforming strangers and associates into alike into extended family members. And that sentence, I said, this is going to be my guiding light. This is what anything that I do will fit into, into this sentence. So now you go back to my five Fs, faith, family, fitness, finances, and fun. I have went through so much, um, or I got scammed out of $750,000. I think, man, you talked about this when we met personally. And I had some setbacks financially that made me say, this will never happen to me again. So I dove in into the financial um, world. And that's, why, that's when I got my start as a financial advisor. And then that morphed and evolved into being a financial advisor and doing insurance. So I feel like what I do as a financial advisor and in the insurance world, that's where I get to live out my purpose statement of any expertise that I have, any resource that I have, I am going out to try to help people live better lives. And now I do have a story. I've seen the highs of highs. I've seen the lowest of lows. I have so many of these rich experiences that I've lived through. And I don't think that I lived through those experiences because of accident, because of an accident. I think I lived through those experiences to continue to live out the purpose that I, that I set. Yeah, that's the, the financial world is the way and the insurance world is the way in which you're bringing your purpose to life. Yeah. And, you know, and, and you got to earn a living for, your, for yourself. So when I, when I wrote that statement, that's what I say. Even the work that I do has to go along with the statement. And just through, hey, like I said, 2009, I found out that I was scammed out of $750,000. That got me into the financial world. The lessons that I learned there, now I get to talk about being a financial advisor, um, helping people uh, do their life insurance and even the property and casualty. I get to talk about all of these things and, and relate all stories to, to people. How did you even get into that? How did you broach that world, right? And saying, I've, been, I've lost money. Um, and now I want to change that for myself and for others. How do you make that leap and that transition into, into that world? That was hard, man. <laughs> I did a post about this uh, a week or so ago. And I'll tell you, just being honestly honest with, with everybody and transparent, if I could have found that guy, man, I probably would have got myself in a lot of trouble because I was, I was pissed. But at some point, I had to change my mindset about the whole thing. And that became one of my principles is, is just embrace it. Whatever time you're in, embrace it because you can't change it. So you might as well embrace it and say, okay, what can I do now? What now? Now what? And that's what I started thinking. Now what? Okay, I lost the money. It's not coming back. But then I went to my attorney after I asked myself that question, now what? And he was part of a financial company um, out in Denver. And I said, hey, I want to start learning how to invest my own money. I want to start to understand what I need to do. And that's how I 
got my foot in the door as being part of Highlander Wealth Management, just as a business development person. But during that time, I was learning about different asset classes, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, and things that you can do to invest. And once I got into that world, my whole thought process, I told you earlier, I pick up stuff quick. I'm, I'm low-key smart um, when I want to be. <laughs> um, I said, this is not rocket science. This, this is really not rocket science. And then once I retired and I met um, Jim Geek, one of the owners of Wayne Mesmer, Wayne Mesmer and Associates, and he showed me the human side of it where for him it was all about connecting with people. That's when I fell in love with the financial industry. And it was at that time when I said, this is how I can live out my purpose because he showed me it was all about people first and foremost. And then it was about the financials because you can't manage anybody's financial um, portfolio unless you have a, a great understanding for the people, the, the person, the family, and what they're trying to accomplish. And that's what really attracted me and got me into it. So that transition, it, it was tough at the beginning, but I just asked my question, I just asked myself the question, all right, the money's gone, now what? How did you mentally go from right, this position of, of high status, whether it's right or wrong in our society, where a pro football player, right, you're, you're, you're bigger than life and you actually are bigger than, than most people too. And so you go from that and you say, you know what, I'm still playing, but I'm, I'm willing to, to start something at the entry level. I'm willing to be a business development rep um, at this company. How did you open yourself up to that and kind of like, you know, just how did you deal with that stigma change too? You're digging deep here, Aaron, because um, I, at first, um, as the business development person, I was still in the NFL at the time. So I still played another year in 2010 as I was doing that. But once I retired, I had made um, some inroads into the um, property managed property management um, career. My, I had got my brother started in it and he was doing well. And that's the first route that I took. And I, I'm, I'm even embarrassed to say it. I, I was there for a week and I quit because it was just that, the ego of, man, I'm, I'm, I'm Desmond Clark. Like, y'all have me sitting in a cubicle and the, the girl next to me her name is Desi. So when they say Des, both of us are turning around and that kind of messed with me. And, and it was hard for me to, to deal with that whole life change of, hey man, I'm playing in front of 70,000 people and now I'm sitting in a cubicle. Um, not only that, that part, but I, I had to figure out how I work best and me, and me being constrained, that wasn't gonna work. I needed to be out about and around people. Um, but once I figured out my purpose that I want to live for, it wasn't hard making that transition, starting at the, at the lowest levels of following Jim Geek around and listening to him do meetings and then transitioning to me just doing the first meetings just for him, you know, and getting people from meeting one to meeting two to go meet him. But at that point, I had something that I was doing for a purpose and one of the things that I tell people it's, it's, it's harder to fight through something than it is to, to fight f 
for something and I was and I was fighting for a purpose and and that made it that made it easier for me to deal with it's harder to fight through something than it is to fight for something it's such a simple message but so powerful right it, it's it just gives you a sense of where to focus your energy right as you said I, I needed to embrace um, earlier right your your financial loss and and the person that stole from you um, and embrace that and go for something as opposed to fighting against that given the current climate and just the the incredible rise in unemployment that's happened in the last several uh, several weeks and months what would you what advice would you give to that person whose their identity has been their job and and whatever success they had is now stripped from them and they're 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 brought back to, to a different reality. What advice do you, would you give them? I think more now than ever, is, is, and especially for people that's in that situation, it's, it's very important now to identify what the purpose is. Because, man, people are hurting right now. And if you can't identify what you get up for every day, it's gonna to be tough to get out of bed if, if you're one of these millions of people that lost your job and you're struggling and you don't know which way to go at this point. That's the first place to start because you, you, you have to have the fuel. And I believe when, when you identify that purpose, now you have the fuel to keep going, to keep moving forward. I tell people that the future is now. The things that you're doing in this moment are gonna create better or worse moments the next week, the next month, the next year. So you're building your future right now. Even though you can't see it, you're building it right now and you have to have faith in that. I believe people will be able to understand this. So I say the future is now and you, and you can't see the future, but what you can see is, all right, think about the things that you've been doing over the last year or two and now look back on that. And you can see what you created from what, you, what you've done for that year or two. Whatever you've done, if you want to keep on that same trajectory, keep doing the same things. But if you want to up your level, you see the effort that you put in and what was created over the last two years. And if you want to create more, do better up the level, now you know all right, now I got to do more. I got to do something different. I got to do something better. I got to have um, higher standards. I got to change habits to create better outcomes because I have the proof from the last year or two of what I've been doing. So it sounds like what you're saying is two things at once. It's like have this long time horizon to look, be able to look into the future and say, hey, in two and three and five and 10, whatever that time horizon is, this is what I want and this is how I want to go and where I want to be. And it's almost as if we, you know, if we took the perspective of a tree, which lives a couple hundred years, right? One or two years is nothing in their, in their lifespan. And so you could see a, a bigger horizon, but you're not just saying, look, look far into the future. You're saying, look into the future of what you want, but also what matters most is how you show up today exactly. and how you show up in the moment. Cause the only thing you truly can control is what you do today. Yeah. From right now. And we've, had, we've had this conversation before to some extent, and we talked about, um, okay, great, you have that future picture of what you want, 
is that enough? Like just having that picture of like what I want, that dream, that wish, like, that's not enough. tell me. That's not enough. So I believe that's where it starts. Is, is when I used to speak years ago, I used to speak to kids and I always used to draw this parallel of them building their life, like building a house. And I would ask them, what type of house do you want? Do you want to live in a shack or do you want to live in a, in a mansion? And I would tell them everything that you're doing today is like putting a, another brick onto your house, which is your life. And you just even sharing your story, it's clear that not only do you have this openness and willingness to learn, but you realize that you got to do the work, right? You got to put in day in and day out. And, you know, it could be misconstrued and misseen by people to say someone coming from a place of a lack of privilege, all you have to do is just work really hard and you'll be fine. What do you tell someone who says that? Um, I would say for the most part, that's true. Because there, for every person that's in that position, there's someone who, who has done something similar to what they're trying to do, come out of a situation that they have come out of. And it takes some luck sometime also, but I think for the, for the most part, it just takes intentional focus work. Um, we talked about this before, like when people know what to do, but don't do it, it's two things that really stand in the way. Um, I believe is not knowing what to do or not knowing how to do it. And sometimes when you are in a disenfranchised situation, you may have never been exposed to how to do it. You may not have the resources around you to know how to do it. You know what, you know what to do um, because that doesn't take a whole lot of imagination of, man, I know if I go to school, good, get good grades, I can go and get a, a decent job to take care of myself. But that exposure is a huge thing, being exposed to the right people to give you the right mindset, being exposed to just um, different experiences so you can open up your brain. For me, going to New York when I was a, a junior in high school and standing on top of the Rural Trade Centers, that did that wonders for me of saying, wow, dude, this is a huge magnificent place. It's bigger than Lakeland, Florida. It's bigger than just Florida. It's bigger than just the places that I've seen. I'm standing on top of the freaking World Trade Center and looking out over all of this. That opened me up so much to, um, to just have that experience and being able to now think differently. So I would say, getting back to the point that hard work is, is definitely the majority of it, but then having the exposure and the experience so you can actually open up your mind to different ways to go about the hard work and the experience and know that things are possible for you. It's creating possibility that someone might not have been able to see, right? It's, it's this whole world of, I don't know what I don't know. And when you walked up to the, to the Trade Center Towers, that was... Wow, I didn't even know this was 
possible. And I'm just grateful that you're out there and you're, you know, sharing, speaking, posting, writing um, your story and your lessons and your experiences, because what you're doing is you're creating possibilities for others to say, I didn't, I didn't know what that was. Um, I didn't know that was possible. And so I'm grateful for you uh, out there doing that, creating those possibilities for other kids to see, yeah, it takes hard work and it takes a little bit of luck to, to be able to see those possibilities. So thank you so much. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. I, I, I love what I do, man. Um, someone gave it to me, so I feel the obligation to give it back. Want to hear more great stories like this one? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. If you like this episode, leave us a review. And as always, drop us a note at openhonestanddirect.com. Cheers and have a great day.